text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 100. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. This is a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. pray. Uh, Father, as uh, we go to your word now and consider who you are and consider how we ought to draw near to you, come into your presence. Father, I pray that your word would instruct us, convict us, build us up and lead us uh, to Christ, Lord. I just uh, ask that Your Spirit would do the work that only it can do in our hearts. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some lessons, some of the best lessons we learn in life, I think are usually caught rather than taught. Sometimes people will instruct us in something, teach us something that will alter our life. Maybe many times that's the case. But I would suggest if you look at your life and you look at some of the areas that uh, influenced you most, some of your greatest lessons were actually caught by watching someone else live. Some of my most convicting moments in being a Christian is not just from a sermon that tells me what to do, but by a life of another Christian that is being lived out in front of me. And this morning, the main thrust of what I want you to see hopefully will be caught by looking at the Apostle Paul's letters and his prayers for the believers. And I think we'll be instructed in regards to the topic of thanksgiving, um, which we began considering last week. Uh, I'll just give you a couple examples in my own life of lessons I've learned by just looking at someone's life. One of my uh, good friends, uh, Ryan, who lives in Minnesota, all the different experiences I've had with him, whether it's hunting or going to the Boundary Waters, uh, I continually saw someone who did hard things. If there was a hard job to be done, I might tend to want to disappear a little bit. He would go right at it and take it on 
uh, full bore <clears throat> in service of others. Uh, a bunch of guys uh, from this church went on the Boundary Waters trip a few years ago, and Ryan was kind of our guide. And I think all of us would witness this servanthood that Ryan had, this positive attitude in the midst of sleeping on rocks in an uncomfortable situation. That's something that comes to my mind a lot as I have opportunities to either do a hard thing and serve or not. Or I look at my wife, Laura, and uh, all the different people that encourage our family and, and love us. And my wife, Laura, is constantly writing thank you notes. And every time I see her doing that, I'm convicted at the un thoughtfulness or the unthankfulness in my heart that why why am I not consistently writing thank you notes? See, this is something that's caught from looking at someone else's life. Well, this morning's uh, sermon is going to be pretty simple if you uh, look at your notes there. The main charge of the message is this. Draw near to God carefully with thanksgiving in your heart. So, look at the title of the message. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. As we approach the God of the universe, ought we not think how, with what type of disposition are we going to come before this God? And we're going to specifically look today at how we come before this God in prayer. And, and uh, so the first thing we're going to look at is pray with thanksgiving. That's how we need to pray. And then we're going to look at ten examples from the Apostle Paul of him praying with thanksgiving for one specific thing. Now, he prays for lots of things, but we're just going to look at one example, what does it look like to come before the Lord with a thankful heart in prayer? So, let's consider how should we come before the Lord first. And uh, I want to remind us uh, of Psalm 50 that we looked at last week. Do you remember in this psalm, at the, at the very beginning of the psalm, it describes what God's like. He's a God who isn't silent. He speaks. He's calling forth people. His mouth is open. He isn't sitting in the background. He's acting. And it says He's the perfection of beauty. And in front of Him is this devouring fire. So you have this picture of God, the perfection of beauty, calling forth. He's not inactive. He's active. You have this picture of devouring fire, and around Him, if you remember, is the F5 tornado. Or in the words of the ESV, a mighty tempest, a whirling storm. So the beginning of this psalm is, 
Remember who your God is. This is the God that Israel continually came before casually thinking God's going to be happy with them because they keep bring, they keep feeding him animals in their sacrifices. You remember what God says? God says, do you think that I'm hungry? And if I was hungry, that I would need you to come and feed me. He says, the reason I'm angry with you isn't because you don't come every day with your animals, but it's because you don't come with a thankful heart. I'll just uh, remind you. In verse 14, he says this, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon Me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify Me. So he said, what was evil, what's evil about what you're doing isn't that you're not being religious and bringing sacrifice, but that you think you're actually fulfilling one of God's needs by bringing the sacrifice. God is needy and He needs my goat. That's wicked. He says, rather glorify Me by offering sacrifices of thanksgiving. He says, here's how you glorify Me. In your day of trouble, in your total help, helplessness, you look to Me, the One who gives. The One who isn't needy, but the One who is always the giver of gifts. He says, that glorifies Me. And then at the end of uh, this psalm, He says this, the One who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies Me. To the One who orders His way rightly, I'll show the salvation of God. So with that in mind, as of already kind of realizing that, here's what Paul says about prayer in Colossians 4.2. He says, Continually, or continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a point in Colossians where he's just giving all sorts of different practical advice as to Christians of what they ought to do. Uh, it's not so much advice as it is uh, he's imploring them. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says this, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does it mean to be steadfast in prayer? To be consistent in your prayers? But while you're praying, be watchful. Be careful. Do it with thanksgiving. Well, remember last week the opposite of thanksgiving? What The surprising opposite we see in the Scripture. It, to not be thankful is to be covet, covetousness. To have covetousness in our heart. The person who comes to God with this perceived lack of God isn't enough. He keeps leaving me high and dry. And so I'm continually coming to God saying, when are you ever going to take care of me? See, that's a temptation. In our prayers, there's a temptation to come before Him rather carelessly Maybe even saying, look at all this I've done for you and this is happening in my life right now. 
How dare this be? There's a real temptation for our prayers to actually be asking for our idolatrous loves. This is what James said in James chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. But here's what he says. He says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So he says, the reason why there's all this tension in marriages, in relationships, in the world, is because inside there's these passions and these desires. And other people are getting in our way of achieving, getting what we want. But then he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. So he brings up prayer. And then he says, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, you adulterous people. You see, James's warning was this. He says, you're not, for one, you're not praying. You're just quarreling and fighting to get your way. And when you do pray, you pray wrongly. There's a way to pray like an adulteress. And, and the best illustration I ever heard was, was by John Piper. It would be like a wife who's staying in a hotel with her husband and she goes down to the lobby and meets a guy and the guy says that he will sleep with her if she'll pay $50. And the wife says, well, I don't have $50. Just give me a minute. She goes back to her hotel room to her husband and says, honey, can I have $50? I really need something. And you see the disgusting nature of the picture, but this is what James is saying. When you pray, you're coming to God and with wrong passions, you're asking for things so that you can worship them rather than Him. And so, this is what Paul's getting at. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. How ought we to come before the Lord? How ought we to approach His throne? With the opposite of covetousness but with thanksgiving, recognizing all the undeserved blessing that, that uh, the Lord has given to us. Someone might say, so are you saying, should I only come before the Lord if I'm happy? What about all the lament psalms in the Bible? You know, you could, you could hear this and say, well, unless I can pray with overwhelming happiness, then I shouldn't, I shouldn't come before him in prayer, in prayer. But you have all these psalms with people laying out their difficult circumstances. But if you look at those lament psalms, it's amazing when you study them. For example, Psalm 88, the, may, maybe one of the biggest ones where it doesn't seem like there's just, it doesn't get resolved at the end of it. it it's a difficult situation that's laid before the Lord. But here's how that psalm starts. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before You. 
Let my prayer come before You. Incline Your ear to my cry. The beauty of the lament prayers are the fact that you have a needy person not going elsewhere, but going to God saying, You're my hope. And in Psalm 50, we saw it's the needy prayer that glorifies God. It's the one who sees God as their help in the day of trouble. So, when life is difficult, when you're not happy, how ought you to pray? You ought to pray knowing that God is your only hope. Humbly come to Him knowing He's the one who can give to you. Uh, look at Psalm 100 if you have your Bibles with me. Uh, it's only five verses, but I think you'll see how we ought to come before the Lord in this psalm. Psalm 100, starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And just notice that you would think that joyfulness is just something that comes and goes. Uh, you wouldn't think you could command someone to be joyful. But the amazing thing about the Bible is we're commanded things like this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. And then here we have it. Come into His presence with singing. How are you going to come to Him? Joyful, glad, with singing. And then He says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. See, it's kind of like Psalm 50 that we looked at. Who is God? He's this God described in this um, amazing way. Remember who you're coming before. Know that when you come into His presence, know that He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates. How are you going to enter into the presence of God? Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. That's how we're to come before the presence of God. With a thankful heart that recognizes He's the One who made us. He is the One who's made all things. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We're going to look at a bunch of these in a moment, but when Paul's praying, he's almost always speaking of thanksgiving. When he prays, he's praying with a heart of thanksgiving. Uh, he also says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Colossians 1.3 Ephesians 1.16 I do not set, cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 1 Timothy 
one. First of all, then I urge that all supplications, that means requests, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. In Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So how do we come before the Lord? We come before Him, yes, to ask requests of Him, to realize we're needy of Him, but we ask with a heart of thanksgiving, recognizing He's our Creator. His steadfast love endures forever. He's worthy of our praise. On our worst day, on the day that seems most unfair in our life, we have countless blessings that we don't even think of that we don't deserve. If we're breathing, that is grace. After sin, death was supposed to come immediately, but by the grace of God, He lets us breathe. Even on our worst day, we can look around at friends and family that God has given us to comfort us in these moments. Yes, that may be the most needy day of your life, but even in your need, there's a reason to come with the heart recognizing He is a good God. And He has blessed in so many countless ways. So what does this look like? We are to come before Him with thankful hearts, but now we're going to look at an example. This is what I was talking about. Sometimes you catch things rather than being taught things. And when I read the Apostle Paul's letters, I see a consistent theme right at the beginning usually. And you begin to catch. And, and I begin to be convicted of my unthankfulness for you. This is the amazing thing. What makes Paul so overwhelmingly thankful is just the thought of other believers. Every time he thinks of a Christian, he just is, in a sense, shocked at the amazing miracle and blessing of it. Now, part of the shock for me <laughs> is that Christians are not always that lovable, right? Some of our deepest pain came at the result of Christians sinning or hurting us. And they definitely hurt Paul. Paul's giving his life for the church at Corinth, and they're trying to figure out if he's even an apostle. And, and he's constantly having to de defend himself that the Lord has really changed him and that he loves them. So we're going to kind of go rapid fire and we're going to feel the thanksgiving that Paul has from his heart, hopefully catch it, evaluate our own hearts and ask God uh, to make us more like Him. 
So when Paul prays, he prays with thanksgiving specifically for the faith of believers. And, and this ought to shock us. The first place I want to show it to you, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. It's kind of up to you if you want to turn to these ten different texts with me. We're not going to be there real long. Here's how he starts out the letter. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of everyone are, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he says at the beginning of this letter, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. This is strange. We ought to always give thanks to God because your faith is growing. Isn't this a strange thing? Let, let me try to illustrate to you why this is strange. Let's say there's a lady that lives down at the end of my block named Susie. And I find out that she has fallen on hard times. She's lost her job. She's having trouble paying her bills. I find out about it. And I go down to Susie's door and I knock on the door and I say, I hear you've fallen on hard times. I just want to give you this gift. And I give her a check. has my name on the check for $1,000. And I give it to her. Go home. The next day, I go down to Kessler's with my buddy John. We're both going in together. I'm going to grab some uh, groceries. And we see Susie. And as we see Susie, Susie comes up and says, Oh, John, I just want to thank you for the gift that Sam gave me yesterday. We'd say, this is really odd. I gave her the gift, but she's thanking John for my gift. It's a strange way of speaking. Wasn't it my gift? We begin to ask questions like, why would she ever thank John for the gift that Sam gave? You might come up with, well, maybe John gave Sam $1,000 and said to give it to Susie. We'd, at, we'd start trying to figure out why would someone ever speak like this? And I think the reason why Paul continually speaks this way is because it's the most shocking thing in the world. A Christian is. The fact that someone's a believer, there, there isn't a greater miracle on display, a greater act of power. In Ephesians 2, we're told that everyone is dead in their trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, they're by nature children of wrath. But then, at verse 4 of Ephesians 2, we just get this amazing statement, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Every time Paul saw a brother or sister in Christ, he couldn't 
help but thank God. Because it's impossible for that person to have faith in Christ without their spiritual deadness being overcome. Without the heart that rebelled against the Lord so naturally from their birth being taken out and a new heart given, faith could not happen. And as we look at these texts, I want you to to think through theologically how Paul is considering these things. I don't know how familiar you are with Arminian theology and Calvinistic theology or the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Uh, But uh, let me just explain a little bit of, in layman's terms, the the tension. In our someone who tends towards Arminian theology almost always will say God is sovereign. He he's the sovereign God. He's the most powerful over all things. But man is dead in trespasses and sins. He's totally dead, and God in His grace has made everyone alive enough to have the opportunity to choose Christ. Have the opportunity for faith. So they would say, you know, look at the amazing grace of God. He puts humanity at the point where everyone is cast their last vote, either believing in God or not. A Calvinistic perspective would say, God in His grace when He looked at man who was spiritually dead in his trespasses and sins, came along and gave new life so that their hearts were willing to believe. So that their hearts not only had the option to believe, but they actually would believe. That they would be willing to believe. So I just I, I just want to give you that tension in a sense. And and I'll tell you what I think the Scripture says. I think the Scripture says unless God raises us, gives us a new heart, we would never have faith. But our faith is real. It's really ours. And you're going to see the Apostle Paul say this. It's not some fake faith that a robot has. But in the same sentence, Paul is going to thank God for their faith and call it their faith. And so I realize there's tension there. But think about it as we look at these prayers of thanksgiving. Um, Romans 1.8 First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He's writing to Christians because your faith is proclaimed in all the earth. I thank God for your faith. In Romans 6.17, he says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standards of teaching to which you were committed. So, you see the picture there. You were once slaves to sin And now you have become obedient of the heart to God. It's amazing. That's their real action. 
but he's thanking God for it. You see how they can live together? But he always thanks God for it. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 4, he says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You see, there we get it crystal clear. He says, the reason why I thank God for you is because of the grace of God that was given to you. See, Paul's realizing I'm going to be in an awful small family unless God's grace is given to my other brothers and sisters. And he says, I thank God always when I think of you because He's given you grace. And then he says, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that there's faith, so that you are not lacking any gift as they wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I, I pray for you. Or when I pray, I give thanksgiving to God because He's given you grace. 2 Corinthians 8.16 But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. That's shocking. So Titus is caring for the Corinthians in a certain way. And Paul says, I thank, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. Isn't that amazing? Thank Titus. He's giving this earnest care, but he says, I have to thank God because God put that love inside his heart. That love would have never been there apart from the grace given to him. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, the beginning of another letter. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. See, this is where conviction sets in for me. We don't have that many letters of Paul. And Paul at the beginning of the letter is just overwhelmingly saying, you want to know what my life is? I'm always thinking about you. And when I'm thinking about you, I'm constantly mentioning you in our prayers with thanksgiving to God. See, that's no lesson can convict me like Paul's example. And then he says, remembering before God the Father your work of faith. See, he doesn't call them robots. He says, I thank God constantly mentioning you in our prayers for your work of faith. They did it. It was real. And the reason why they could do it is because they were born again. Grace was given. A new heart was put in place that tended towards God rather than away from God. That's why when a person gets saved, you ask them about their life, it's hard to explain. I lived my whole life for alcohol or drugs or materialism. 
And this was life. This was never going to change. And all of a sudden, I hear the gospel. It's hard to explain, but now the thing I used to think was boring, the church and the Bible, now I begin to... This, this actually is what I desire, and this begins to look empty. Well, what happened there? If that's happened in your life, and I think of you, I ought to just bust into prayer of thanksgiving that a brother has been gifted to me by the grace of God. That's how Paul's viewed the world. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But I ought to always give thanks to you for God, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. So there it's all together in one sentence. If you have your Bibles, turn there. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 I hope people don't ever make me choose between believing in God, the God who chooses and the people who believe because they live in the harmony in the same sentence. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. I thank God because God chose you. When I think of you as a Christian, I thank God because He chose you. How did He, how did he save them? Through the sanctification of the Spirit. That means through becoming more and more like Christ by the power of the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's faith. Living side by side. Philippians 1.3 Here's how he writes to the Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. So I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to be redundant here, but will you be shocked with me at the love Paul has for believers? Could we say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you? When you think of me, is your first response, oh Lord, thank you for brother Sam. Maybe it is sometimes. I pray that God can so change my heart that the first thought I have whenever I see a believer, when we come together to worship together, see, we can take this for granted. You're sitting next to redeemed people that will be in your family for all eternity. And when you look at each other, no matter how you might hurt each other, because you will, because we still struggle with sin, the overwhelming disposition of the heart ought to be, what a gift. What a gift for brothers when we see each other. So I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
on the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace for in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with all the affection of Christ. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more and knowledge and are with knowledge in all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He just is overwhelmingly thankful that they are understanding the Gospel. That they're believing the Word of God. He recognizes it as something God began. Colossians 1.3 We always thank God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray, pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. So he's looking at the love of the believers and he's saying, oh, praise you, God. This is amazing miracle. Of this you have heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth. He's saying it's amazing. One day, you heard the Gospel, and ever since then, your life has begun to increase in sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Praise God. I'll give you one more. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I can't stop. I just keep giving thanksgiving to God. And I showed you these ten texts where Paul is simply writing a letter. And my jaw drops whenever he speaks of praying. He talks about unceasing thanksgiving. And he pray, he's thankful to God for a bunch of things. But nothing more clearly does he thank God for than when he thinks of other believers. And this convicts me. See, this is the joy of when we're walking in the mall and someone from church or another brother, you see. If you've never been able to distinguish the difference in maybe how your heart leaps, hopefully now you'll realize the tremendous gift Paul saw whenever he thought of a believer or saw another believer. And he didn't just go up to them and say, oh, you're so good. You have faith. Amazing job. Your love. Man, you guys are tough love workers. You just do that so great. He always does it with this formula. I thank God 
for your love and your faith. So I want to leave you with this this morning. Let us draw near to God carefully with thanksgiving in your heart. I want to leave you with 1 Peter 3.18. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I want to call attention to one pronoun. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did the righteous one die for the unrighteous? So that He can bring us into a family. Us into the presence of our Father. For the many things, the many reasons to be thankful to God, let's be thankful for the supernatural miracle of God turning hard-hearted, selfish unbelievers into believers that begin to become more and more like Christ. Father, thank You for Your grace. We could have never fixed ourselves. Father, we could never figure out how to get ourselves moral enough. Thank You for Christ's reminder that we need to be born of God, born of the Spirit. We need to have a resurrection in our hearts. Lord, I pray that this church would grow in love for each other and in thanksgiving to God as we see trophies of grace when we see each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.